This is Isaka's Page 2 Podcast. Thanks everyone for joining us today. I'm Safia Kazi, Privacy Professional Practices Principal here at Isaka. I'm excited today to be joined by Jo Stewart-Rattray to discuss her recently released article titled Where Privacy Meets Security. Jo, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Great to be with you, Safia. So to get us started, can you talk a little bit about the difference between privacy and security? It seems like a lot of people struggle with this. You know, if you were to create a Venn diagram of privacy and security, what are the distinguishing things? And then what is the overlap between them? Great point. And thanks for the Venn diagram. I find that really an easy way to describe it because I actually think that we have some convergence going on here, particularly around privacy, security, risk and assurance and physical security, right? So, and there's a bit in the middle where the rubber hits the road and we should all be working together. So, you know, when we're talking about security, oftentimes security and privacy are very closely aligned because we need to be concerned about the privacy of the individuals, the privacy of their information. But by the same token, that requires us to secure that information as well. So that's where I also think that we need to be very mindful to make sure that there's no way that that information leaks out of our systems as well. And so that's why I say we need to be looking at the risk because privacy to organisations is another risk. And we also need to understand that security is a risk. And both of these become material in nature to organisations very, very quickly. And I did add physical security into it too, because, you know, there's still paper records hanging around. And so they can be easily swiped off desks, etc. And how has the pandemic influenced the way that both individuals and enterprises approach privacy and security? That is another interesting question. You've got some good ones today, Safia. I have. Um, I, I think that the pandemic has, has influenced so much because if we think about it, everybody went home to work. You can say I'm still at home. Um, I went home for six weeks, two and a half years ago. So, um, and, and I found as a chief security officer, it, it was very interesting, the reaction of individuals. Individuals within organisations began to ask me, what do I do? I've had to print something out. What do I do with that information? Because it deals with a client or it deals with a patient. I had one lady come up with this great idea, Joe, is this all right? And the, is this all right was I've, ripped up the document, I've put it in a sink of water, I've let it go really mushy, I've squished it all together, dried it out and then burnt it in my fire. Is that all right? And I said, absolutely. I mean, it was perhaps a little extreme, but he was somebody who suddenly had not really ever thought about the privacy of information outside of a corporate environment. And so she was actually being really innovative in the way that she dealt with it. So I think it's taught us some lessons. I've also been very mindful to make sure that when I talk with individuals that I'm talking in organisations, I'm talking to them about what's in it for them too, because some of the behaviours that we want to instil in people, how they deal with other people's privacy and, and information, they can use in their own lives as well. And I think that's a really important piece. Give them the whiffin, whiffin, what's in it for me? And that really helps. The other thing is there's been a greater focus on security as well about people actually thinking before they, even little things like thinking before they print, 
thinking about how they send a document, thinking about securing information in a different way. I think there's been, because there have been so many scams and so many um, uh, attacks, that people have become more mindful, uh, which is really good. I actually think it's been helpful in that regard. You know, security has become more mature. I think privacy is still catching up with security in the maturity stakes, but this is this has helped people to become more aware of what they need to do. Yeah, and earlier you were talking a lot about risk, and in your article you talk about the risk that could affect individuals, organizations, or even an entire country's global reputation. Can you talk about some of the risks that might be associated with breaches of privacy for the three groups that I just mentioned? Sure. <laughs> um, I think that there are a whole range of risks that we have to consider as organisations. We have to, I'll take the organisational piece first. As organisations, we have to consider what the information is that we've collected. Do we actually need that information? And how can we assure that information is only going to be used for what it was intended to be used for? And indeed, what the individual has given consent for. I think that's really important to understand. That's something that has changed over time as well. You know, we used to collect all kinds of information and suddenly send out, you know, Joe Stewart Rattray has blue eyes, therefore she probably needs sunglasses. You know, there's been all these kind of weird ex ex extrapolations of information and we can't do that. We really need to. We've collected that information to inform a piece of work. We can't then use it for something else. And individuals need to be very aware of why am I giving this information away? Why do they need to know this? And in fact, ask the question. It doesn't matter if you think it's the government or you think it's the bank or you think it's your services, internet services provider. Ask the question, why are you asking me for this information? How are you going to secure this information? How can I be assured that my information is safe? I think every individual has the right to do that and should do that. And when we talk about countries, this is a really interesting thing because, you know, we have seen a great many more um, uh, nation state kind of attacks in recent times, which has made it very difficult for organisations to get cyber insurance. And that's a whole other discussion piece, right? But that's all of this is played into it. Organisations have become collateral damage, I believe, in, in the nation state stakes, because it's not necessarily the information that my organisation holds, but it's potentially the where that information goes. They're looking for the back door. So the back door to go in and to be able to get to perhaps that government uh, database or that health database somewhere where there's lots of you know it's information rich so these are issues that have to be considered more than ever and countries need to be very much aware that this is in play and need to legislate accordingly some of these things are very difficult to legislate for but but the citizen citizenry needs to be protected and i think organizations need to a be aware of their responsibilities to government and government needs to be aware of the responsibilities to the broader community as well. It's in interesting that you mentioned that 
people need to ask, why are you collecting this data? What do you need it for? I think there's still a tendency for a lot of organizations to just collect as much information as possible and figure out the use later. Uh, what are some strategies you have for privacy or security professionals to help their organizations understand that this is not something that they should be doing and we really need to be limiting the amount of data that we're collecting? Absolutely. Look, I think education is a really important piece. Certainly for the chief security officer, uh, I think that a good part of my job is communicate, 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 educate, educate, educate. Six most important words as far as I'm concerned. And that means right from the top of the organisation and if, you know, reporting to the board, et cetera, and the, and the general executive all the way through the organisation. And, you know, we talked about the Venn diagram before where, where security and privacy meet and hit the road. I believe that, you know, to work in collaboration with the chief privacy officer is a really good approach as well in that educative piece. I've certainly done that where for frontline workers in, in healthcare, I've worked with a chief privacy officer and we've put together a whole range of education pieces, just short, sharp videos uh, and quizzes and that sort of stuff for people to be able to understand uh, about the information that they collect, they're holding. Why am I collecting? Why am I actually asking this, this question? You know, it starts, it starts, in that case, the practitioners start to think about it as well. So I think they're really important pieces to make sure that we do that. And then, of course, you know, there's the general public need to be informed as well. And again, we go back to this is this sometimes this is a role with government as well. Government need to to educate the community. Um, the US did this some years ago with security with a NICE program. And I think we need to continue to do those kind of things into the future. Absolutely. Now, in your article, you said that boiled down to its simplest form, the two key elements to privacy are data that must be collected and then how those data are protected. So you did sort of touch on this, but which roles in an organization are most responsible for this collection and protection aspect of it? I'm going to say every individual in an organization has a role to play in this, Safia. It's, mm -hmm. To me, it's really important. If I'm creating information, or I'm collecting it and I'm therefore manipulating it and storing it or I'm transmitting it, I have to be responsible for the way I deal with that. Of course, the buck's going to stop somewhere in the organisation. You know, the people who are obviously in the firing line are going to be the chief security officer and the chief, chief privacy officer up through the CEO and then to the board. And that's where, you know, obviously the buck ultimately stops. Reality is, I do believe it's every individual in an organisation has to be responsible for it. And if, if you know, again, I think it's something that if I can see that I'm being asked to collect information that I don't understand, ask the question, ask why. Why am I being asked to collect this information? You know, sometimes it gives organisations pause for thought because they go, oh, actually, that's where we're collecting it only because we've collected that information for 30 years. Do we actually need it? What do we do with it? Oh, nothing? Well, in that case, let's not collect it any longer. So I think there needs to be that sort of uh, thought process and, and sort of internal, informal risk assessment around why you're collecting data and information. 
One of the things your article says that I love is that privacy is a team sport. And I think you really did just address that, right? Everybody has to have a role. Um, but I think that's a lot easier said than done. So what is some advice that you have for organizations that want to work on building this collaboration and really getting everybody across the enterprise to buy into privacy? It, look, it's one of those things that it's there's no easy fix and it's not going to happen overnight. This is a longitudinal approach, but it will happen. I mean, I know for me, walking into a, a new organisation a couple of years ago to, to work with them, my very first thing to do was I went and I determined who the people were that I needed to work across the organisation with. So the most important people were governance, risk and assurance, as I said, physical security, um, the technology teams, um, so, and of course the security folks, but so to me, it was really, it's taking that horizontal slice across the organization, as far as collaboration is concerned and build opportunities for collaboration, you know, set up a, a forum that might be your, it might be your security privacy forum, for instance, um, you know, in Australia, we have mandatory uh, data breach regulations in place and, and so therefore organisations have to have protocols accordingly. This is a great opportunity to set up those relationships. You know, you build that protocol, determine who is going to be part of the response team. And those those people are the ones then that you begin to build your relationship with because if the worst happens, you are going to have to be working with those people. So you need to understand their thinking as well and understand the risk that you're you're all addressing. So it's that security privacy first approach to me. The the, the horizontal slice is really important. Cross collaboration is really important. Getting a voice at the senior table as well. The senior leadership table is very important. If you can do those things, you've got a really good uh, starting place uh, because you're then pushing the information up, and of course you will be through the education process, pushing it through the rest of the organization. Absolutely. And so then as the digital economy continues to grow, how do you anticipate privacy challenges evolving and changing with that? Privacy is now where security was maybe 10 or 15 years ago. You know, we have to think about privacy now. We used to have to think about security. We actually know, most of us now know what we should do to, to, to remain secure. Just like we all know in the workplace about health and wellness, we know that after 20 minutes, we should stand up and at least do one circuit of our desk before we sit back down. I'm not saying that we always do. But, you know, what this really is, is about enshrining the practice and process into everyday um, DNA of the organisation, so enshrining it in practice. This, I think, is only going to become more and more important as time goes on, as, as more and more information is gathered, more and more information is, is manipulated. You know, the increase of AI creates issues around ethics as well, and that's a whole other discussion when it comes to privacy and ethics of dealing with information. So I can see this is something that, that will be in the in the spotlight it's not just a fad it's not going to go away this is something that's going to be in the spotlight forever and that we need to actually um, 
ensure that our organisations are maturing their processes and maturing their, maturing their thinking and, and maturing the way their, their staff um, and their organisation overall, overall think about this. And can we talk a little bit about small businesses for a moment? I think they're kind of in a unique place where they have very few resources and a lot of times there might not be people who are dedicated entirely to privacy. How can privacy solutions be built in a way that makes them accessible to small businesses and allow small businesses to also do everything else that it is they need to do? This is also a problem with security as well. You know, entrepreneurial businesses, for instance, don't think about the security and think about how they can get their fabulous product to market without considering the security issues until unfortunately the breach occurs and, and they've lost the IP of their, whatever their invention was. So it's something that, again, I think it needs to be thought about. And we as professionals in this space need to assist small to medium enterprise. This country, Australia, is, is built on small to medium enterprises. Some huge number, like 65% of all businesses are in the small to medium enterprise range. So given that, we, it's, I think it's incumbent upon us to make sure that we do offer solutions that are, that are viable for small businesses. Now, oftentimes that means it's a manual process. So that's much more labour intensive. But again, it's about understanding. It's about understanding what your responsibilities are in relation to privacy. And I think that's where we're, we're missing. We're missing the point. I don't think there's enough information out there that, that really is for small business. So again, that's incumbent upon governments to ensure that, that there is that information available um, through the office here of the, it's the office of the Australian Information Commissioner. It's about making it accessible. And when I say accessible, I'm not saying that you can just download it, but readable. Because you go online, it might be written in plain English, but my gosh, sometimes it's just so hard to actually, what do they mean, right? So there almost needs to also be perhaps privacy hotlines, that sort of stuff, where, where in, small businesses can actually take advantage of expert advice to understand the position that they're in. But I don't think we've done enough in that space, absolutely, and I think there's a lot more that we can do. And again, it's the same as the security discussion. You know, again, it's one of those discussions that we've been having for 15 years that, that you know, uh, small business has largely, largely ignored security, but now realise that they're just as, if they have a digital footprint, they, their attack uh, surface is likely to be just as large as anyone else's. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned people not really understanding what their obligations are because they're just not written in plain language. I think this also affects individuals. You know, they might go to a website and have no idea what the privacy policy is actually saying. Um, how do you think that this can be improved? Is this something that falls to enterprises? Is this maybe some kind of governmental initiative, some combination? Oh, look, I would like to say that, that I think organisations have to be very mindful of who is who is our audience. It's not a lawyer necessarily. It's going to be an individual person. You know, it's Joe Citizen who needs this assistance. So it has to be written in terms that Joe Citizen will understand, you know, because he or she is not going to have that legal background to be able to get through some of the mumbo jumbo. Even though it appears to be plain English, it can still be so dense and hard to understand. I do think when it comes to government, certainly government departments 
need to make sure that their privacy policies are front and centre on websites and are again accessible and readable to and understandable to the individual. And so I know you said that, you know, privacy is where security was years ago. One of the things we're seeing in security, but we're also seeing in privacy is just issues in the workforce and a skill shortage. Um, the from our SACA surveys, it looks like privacy is not faring nearly as roughly as cybersecurity is, but it is still a challenge to find qualified talent. What advice do you have for organizations that want to attract and or retain the best privacy talent? Aha. Uh -huh. I actually think this goes to whether it's security or privacy, to be honest. It's about ensuring that you have recruitment policies and practices that are fair, that are attractive, and that are not discriminatory in any way, shape, or form. And when I say that, sometimes you read a policy, you read a, a job ad, and you look at it and you go, that's really made for somebody who's going to work 80 hours a week. You know, I'm a mother. I, I, I'm not going to be able to do that. You know, I have I have caring responsibilities or I have an elderly parent that I have to care for. So, you know, they, they're, and given that we're, we're still at the, you know, hopefully at the end of a pandemic, but we're still working through a pandemic here where it's been proven that people can work from home and take responsibility and, in fact, craft the way that they work to meet those responsibilities as well. So I think that's what, these are really important things when it comes to hiring, you know, that we do the same thing. We allow people that flexibility that we don't say, get to the office, you're gonna be in the office five days a week. We know that that's absolutely not, not necessary at all. So make it accessible to people who have caring responsibilities, whether they be male or female, it's immaterial, but we need to make sure that we give them that opportunity. We also make, have to make sure that we have real, really good training in place too, because not all privacy practitioners are going to be lawyers. You know, so that's the other thing as well. Oftentimes you'll find practitioners are not lawyers. Um, so you need to make sure that they, they have the right training uh, and indeed um, have the capacity to, to move up through the ranks or indeed they might be making a, a change they might be moving from security into privacy for instance we need to make it again accessible look at the ways that we can be attractive to to uh, those individuals who may want want to give it a whirl you know give it a try because i think that's the only way we're going to be able to attract talent in this very hard market it's a really hard market at the moment whether it be security or privacy and I know in the security states it's taking months and months to find people because just the moment that you that you think you've got them, they'll be offered more money somewhere else. And this is it's it's an you know, like it's an ever increasing issue. So one of the things that I think is really interesting about both security and privacy is that there isn't necessarily one way to get into it. You can have almost any background and with the right training, like you mentioned, you can get into it. So how can people who are currently working in the field attract others and recruit people into getting interested in privacy, especially if potentially we are going to have some of the same issues that cyber is experiencing in a few years? I think that we're our own best ambassadors. Um, you know, sometimes telling our own stories, how we got there, that's really powerful. So, you know, if, if you have a professional body of choice, and you and I would, of course, say that that's ISACA, if you have a professional body of choice, 
go talk to them about events. Do you have any events about, you know, how you get into privacy or blah, 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 or, you know, privacy events or security events or security and privacy events? Have a look at what's on offer because oftentimes that's where you'll get the chance also to network with other professionals who are in that space. So, as I say, I think we're our own best ambassadors. We're the people who can tell the war stories. So oftentimes presentations from people who are in the space can be very attractive. I, I know it's, it, it, it has amused me in the past when, you know, I've given a presentation about, you know, something in security and I've talked about my experiences, how I got there. Um, all of a sudden I have lots of people afterwards who will come up to me and um, uh, have a chat. You know, they want to find out more. So I think that's a really good place, a really good way to start networking talking about it. speed networking is fantastic as well, right, where you actually get to meet professionals very quickly and then you can then follow up. So there are all manner of different ways that you can do that. Or, of course, if you're really serious about upscaling your career, look for a mentor in the space as well. Yeah, that's great advice. Um, well, unfortunately, it looks like that's all we have time for, but thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure, Sophia, as always, to work with you. All right. Well, thank you for listening to this episode. If you'd like to read Joe's full article, be sure to click the link in the episode description. I'm Safia Kazi, and thank you for tuning in. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of Page to Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode.